Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! We are thrilled to welcome Bonnie Wan to the podcast today. Bonnie is the author and creator of The Life Brief, a book that we're going to be talking about extensively on this podcast today. Bonnie is also a partner and head of brand strategy at Goodby Silverstein and Partners, one of Fast Company's 2021 most innovative companies in the world. As a career brand strategist, she has been celebrated as an ad age leading woman for 2023 and 2022's Chief Strategy Officer of the Year. She has spent the last three decades helping brand titans get clear about their essence so they can grow and innovate from that place of clarity and purpose. In 2010, during a crisis of meaning, she wrote a creative brief for her life, and the life brief was born. Her resulting life brief not only saved her marriage, but kicked off a decade of personal and professional adventure, paved with unexpected twists and unimaginable gifts. Today, Bonnie teaches others how to get clear, get creative, and get courageous about living without regret through her keynote talks, workshops, and retreats, including South by Southwest, Jane Goodall's Good Hope Summit, and even Gwyneth Paltrow's In Goop Health, and many, many more individuals, companies, and organizations. First of all, Bonnie is a force. She is a force. Second of all, one of the things I really like about this book is that it's about doing, and not necessarily we have to talk about the feelings and like, you're going to have to do some deep diving, ask some really interesting questions, be curious about process. And in so, I guarantee your life will be changed. Yeah. And I mean, to the extent you may be asking yourself, why are we having a creative brand strategist on a uh, decidedly sort of health and fitness related podcast? But, you know, to me, what she's talking about and the practices she's espousing in the life brief are essential to our health yeah. and overall happiness. It's just a bit more of an inward look. Yeah, you know, a lot of times piece of when it. we're trying to untangle human performance, pain, dysfunction, we always have to say, well, are you safe in your community? Do you feel seen and recognized and self-actuated? And people do not. And they don't have a strategy. I don't think it's anyone's fault. Sometimes we just arrive to this. If you're listening to this, chances are you run a business, know someone who's in a business, a part of a business. Or have a busy, crazy oh, life. Oh, my Lord. This strategy for untangling and getting clear about what your principles are and then some of the daily practices to just reinforce that, it spoke to me in a way and in at a level that a lot of other things do not fire me up. Yeah, and Bonnie is just such a great storyteller yeah. and you know, sort of advocate for why the life brief is something you want to incorporate into your life. So I think you're all going to really enjoy this conversation with Bonnie Wan. Hold on to your butts. Bonnie, welcome to the Ready State podcast. I can't believe I'm here. I'm pinching myself. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Well, we are so excited to talk about your awesome book that's just coming out in a few days here, Life Brief. And first of all, congratulations. And before we really get into it, you know, as fellow authors ourselves, tell us, this is your first book. Tell us how you're doing. Like, what's it been like? What, how's the book process going? Like, how are you doing? <laughs> it has been a roller coaster. Lots of chapters, ups and downs, all exhilarating, some really exhausting, and a lot of surprise. I thought that this part right now up to launch would be my favorite part, that it'd be <laughs> the easy part, the exciting part, because I'm in advertising, you know, I'm a marketer. Little did I know that I would spend this entire launch phase wanting to crawl back into the writing phase. 
which huge support. Man, I mean, we really relate to that a lot. I mean, we had, you know, we've figured out how to market books, but, and, you know, we're decent at it at this point. But yeah, I mean, we had a lot of the similar thoughts when we launched our book, Built to Move, that we were like, man, this marketing phase is exhausting. And, and, and it's really yeah. honestly, for everyone out there who has written a book or is, wants to, it really just begins the day the book comes out. Right. Like you, you like, you've just run a marathon and they're like, you, you get to the starting guy, right. you know, and they're like, oh, here's your roadmap for the next marathon you're about to run. Yeah, it's so great. Exactly. Well, thank you for saying that, Kelly, because I I keep thinking, oh, I didn't do enough, or I, I I'm so behind, you know, on the actual getting to launch day, so that there's a little more after or a long tail after. I think that sets this up beautifully. You are an achiever. You're a go getter. You certainly, I think, you and Juliet have a lot in common. When I read through this, I heard my wife a lot in your voice in terms of holding it down, doing a lot on a lot of different fronts and comma being a partner and a, you know, a mother to a big family. I mean, I think it's really interesting to see, I can hear your excitement and also like, oh boy, this has been a lot. And we still have a lot to do. We have a lot of things to manage, a lot of balls in the air, which just sets us up perfectly to talk about how this works. So before we do that, tell us a little bit about what you do professionally right now and how you got to that place. Because, you know, we we happen to know some people in common in the advertising world, but, you know, you're doing professionally something a little different than we normally have in our listeners. So tell us a little bit about what, what you do, where you are, and how you got there. Yeah, so I'm a 30-plus year career brand strategist. I'm a partner and head of brand strategy at a really storied, amazing advertising agency in San Francisco called Goodby Silverstein Partners. If you watch the Super Bowl, you'll see some of our work. If you know the infamous Got Milk campaign, epic storytelling, that's the origin story of my agency. And I've been there for over 25 years. Wow. And so as a strategist, I work with companies to help them get crystal clear about the essence of who they are, why they exist, and then express that in really unexpected, surprising, innovative ways that wows the world time and again. So it's the intersection between their DNA, their essence with their ambition. And so now I get to do that for people at the same time that I do it for companies. Do you think, or are you surprised every time that you probably have to do a lot of exploration, journey work to sort of arrive at those things that were sometimes people... They've kind of been blundering along. They may have inherited a company. They things that existed. They got hot. And they don't know why they got hot. I mean, or they think they know what their customer wants, but they don't. <laughs> it's amazing that you basically get to sit down with founders and bright, smart, creative people and say, "What are you about?" Is that surprising to you when that happens? Because obviously, we'll talk about how that relates to all of us. But from a business point of view. I have to believe that you must be shocked sometimes that you have to like sort of do this, what seems like very remedial work, but ends up being foundational work. It is foundational work. I find companies are like people, you know, they're in the trenches of their problems at the moment. They're confused. Uh, it's high stakes every day. There's new competitors coming in. Wholesale industries are being disrupted by technology and change, and they're flying by the seat of their pants. It's really hard in that murk and mess 
to see clearly. And it's the same thing with our lives, right? Everyone's got expectations. As parents, we are trying to manage the urgent and we lose sight of the important. And so CEOs and everyday people actually have a lot in common. I love that. And I think that that gives me the perfect platform to maybe this is going to be the only question I need to ask you in this entire podcast. But tell us the origin of the life brief. And before you do, I will just say for my part, I loved how vulnerable and personal you were in this book in telling the story about what brought you to creating this idea of the life brief. And if you're willing to share, you know, a Reader's Digest version of with our audience, I think that would be great. It just... What it, is a brief? What What's is a creative and, brief? And you're right. Maybe we should back up. I mean, what is, what is a creative... Since we've been talking on the professional level, what is a creative brief? And what brought you to sort of tweak the idea of a creative brief and apply it to our own lives? Yeah. So the creative brief is the scalpel of a strategist's toolbox. It's the thing that is incisive and cuts through all the mess. I like to say as a strategist, my job is to make meaning out of messiness. So the creative brief, it's a single-minded, single-page declaration of what a company stands for. And the shorter, the sharper, the stickier it is, the more powerful it is. And what it means is it brings everything that a company or a brand stands for and distills it into one word, three words, one sentence, so that everyone can remember to work from that place. And when you have that, it becomes your North Star. It makes your decisions really clear. Oh, we stand, you know, One Medical is one of my favorite recent companies we work for. They stand for real life care. That's it. That's three words that articulates who they are and why they exist so that they can innovate from that place. Real life care means we are healthcare for people's real lives. We don't make people drive 45 minutes or an hour to get to their doctor. We don't make people wait three weeks to resolve why their two-year-old was throwing up all last night, right? So they're designing everything around how to get more and more into how people live and serve up healthcare in that way. So a creative brief really gives a company or a person that sharp, sticky distillation of what matters most so that they can stay there instead of what we all do because life is crazy. The ride starts taking us, right? And it's like, oh, we got to schedule that, schedule this, schedule this. And how do we do that? How do we manage this? And we lose sight of, wait a second, what's the through line here? Why are we doing all this crazy, overscheduled, you know, busy trap type of lives that we're living? Why are we hustling? Why are we on that treadmill? And when we get really clear and we anchor and start from the place of that distilled essence clarity. Clarity unlocks everything else. And suddenly the fury of life is a little more manageable. And in fact, not just more manageable, but it becomes an adventure because you can create now a direction or a series of actions that are in service of you and your essence rather than taking the ride, somebody else's ride. I still want to go back to how this relates to the life brief, but I love that. And that was so great. And the North Star reference really makes so much sense to me. Do you find in working with companies that they often spend a lot of time and effort and money and attention creating this brief slash North Star, and then 
lose sight of it and forget to reference back to it? I mean, do you find that as a, and I have to think we as, you know, as I think forward talking about the life group that we as humans might go through the exercise and then forget to go back and check in with our North Star. (laughs) I imagine companies do that as well. Companies definitely do that. I think strategies that are long, complicated, dull, do that. They're write it and forget it. That's why everything I encourage in creative briefs and life briefs is to make it sharp, sticky, like so it tattoos into your mind and your heart. And fuck yes, you have to have a feeling. Creative briefs, you only know you have a good one if you immediately have a feeling and have a dozen ideas coming off of it. You're just already juiced up, right? That's the test of strategists with creative people is if I write a killer brief, creatives are chomping. I mean, in the room, they're already throwing ideas around. It's the same thing for a life brief. When you get to a declaration, a sharp, sticky declaration of what you want, and what you want is the driving question behind the life brief. It's where you start. But when you get to that sharp, sticky declaration, that feeling of fuck yes, either goosebumps on your arms or fire in your belly or butterflies, then you know something automatic is going to come out of that. The problem is we live in this bias for action, hustle culture world where it's all about do, do, do. And what happens if you live a life of just action, you're going to have a lot of U-turns. Because a lot of those actions are going to take you down the wrong road. But if you get messy and get clear, allow yourself to get messy, ruminate, reflect, stir up the ingredients of what you really want and what matters to you, not your parents, your spouse, your children, your best friend. If you really do that upfront work and get clear, then your actions actually become joyful, fun, invigorating, exciting. But back to the question you asked, Juliet, about mm, how did it start? Well, for me, it started in a moment of crisis, right? I think when all things are good, when things are happen in life, there's no need to do anything different. But in 2010, I had three kids. I now have four, but at that time we had three kids. Which, by the way, I'm high-tending you virtually because, you know, how you have this big-time job and four children is truly astounding, but Please proceed. <laughs> Behind every great woman is a man. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, obviously, that's what everyone knows. <laughs> I was just about to compliment the hero, really, of the story. Is my husband, who's the uh, the lead parent, we call him. But in 2010, he was my he was the problem. That's what was happening in 2010. Right? We had three kids under the age of five. We were negotiating. We spent all our time together negotiating schedules, demands, and then worse yet, debating, fighting, comparing, competing, who was doing more. Was that it? Were those things in your wedding vows? Because that was probably the last <laughs> clear brief you'd written in your relationship, right? You write this wedding vow brief and then you're like, yeah, and then you're you've like, lost wait. the North Star. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, they were everything but our wedding vows. You know, we get married and you, you have this idyllic. Everyone can relate to this right now. I mean, we all have this fantasy about how we're going to be and who we're going to be as parents. And I woke up and we were anything but that. And so I was at the grocery store, Sunday shopping, pounding rain on the car. 
paralyzed. They couldn't get out of the car. And I was faced with these unbearable questions. And I was on the phone with a really dear friend. And I spoke the questions out loud. Am I with the right person? Did I marry the right person? Is this the right partner for me? And how do we hold this big life we've created? What if the answer is that I can't? I can't do it. And once spoken, they were out there and they were there for me to face every time I got into a quiet moment. And the answer certainly didn't show up in the grocery store parking lot. But weeks later, I went to my parents' house. I stayed in my childhood bedroom. And something happens when you're in that you know, place. Something unlocks. And I hit bottom. It was an ugly cry. It was not pretty. And I thought, I have to leave. This is, you know, I was at the precipice of, okay, this might be over now. And then something in me just had a reflex. My strategist came through, busting out. And I was like, I am familiar with this kind of paralyzing confusion. And I started writing and I just did what I do for my clients. I dropped in, cut through the BS, the clutter, the confusion, and I dropped into what do I want? Fuck everyone else. I'm not going to think about Chip. I'm not going to think about my parents. I'm not going to think about my best friend and their advice. What do I really want in this moment? And when I started writing, something immediately happened when I stepped back and looked at what I wrote down. I went into it thinking that my husband was the problem. When I looked down at what I wrote, I realized the problem was my relationship with time, where I was putting my attention, where I was putting my energy, who I was giving it away to. And that became the center vertebrae, the big declaration of my first life brief, which was, it's time to take back our time and to take it. So there were about five bullet points on that first brief, you know, because briefs are briefs. They're they're meant to be concise. And I sent it, I emailed it to Chip, my husband, and it was really late at night, but he immediately texted back, Y-E-S, all caps, triple exclamations, yes. And that was our first moment of hope after a year and a half. And did you like press send on that text thinking, okay, this could like go one of two ways and like, okay, I'm going to do it because I need to do this, but you know, let's just wait and see. And then like you get this yes back. And I just thought it would be hard. I thought when I pushed send, it was going to be hard. He wasn't going to get to it until the morning. And then he's going to be making lunches for kids. And, you know, and it's going to be a cursory look and he's going to be like, okay, yeah, another email, blah, blah, blah. And instead, what I learned later is he read it and just that fuck yes feeling, you know, for him. There it is. It was like, yes, that's what I want too. Oh my gosh. So it was this moment of alignment that then turned our attention towards something in a united way rather than against each other. And it unlocked a sense of possibility that we had not experienced between us. And we rode that feeling and we rode that feeling and started talking about, well, what if, what would this look like if we had this time, time with our kids, time for each other, time for ourselves? What would it take to get that? What would our lives look like? What would need to shift? 
And that became a really energizing late night talk that was creatively driven, not nitpicky, blamey, who's doing more, who's not doing enough, you know? And that was the first turnaround we needed. And so once you had this this first life brief written down and you you two get to actually discuss the creative side, what changes did you make? How did you create that space to have the time? You know, how did you realize What's the next step? The, yeah. How did you realize that first life brief? And what did that look like in terms of the specific changes to your lives? This was in April 2010. And um what I've learned over time now is something happens when you get to that fuck yes clarity. Everything shifts inside you. Nothing looks different on the outside, but suddenly your life force shifts and your attention automatically shifts. So then very next day, I start looking at, oh, should we move? Like, what kind of life or lifestyle would be different? And I just started spending my time that I was spending on social media. Instead of social media, I started researching schools. And Chip started doing his own little automatic shift. And he was started looking at places to live, you know. And so we both went on these journeys separately, but we would come back and touch base and, you know, share inspirations or share ideas or refinements. And four months later, I had been separately researching schools where our kids could really be soaked in our the values we wanted. He was looking at places to live. And he called me at work and he said, hey, babe, remember our vacation two years ago in Portland, Oregon? That awesome painted intersection, super vibrant. And there was that big Victorian house on the corner. And I said, of course because he wanted to make a documentary film about it, you know. He said, well, it's available for rent. And I said, oh my gosh, because we were going to do a whole documentary on this community, how vibrant it was, how caring and creative. And I had been separately researching a school in Oregon called Sunnyside Environmental School, which is all based on nature and, you know, nature's clock and raising good citizens And I said, well, let me know what the school situation is. And he called back four hours later and he said, hey, there's a school at the end of the block from the house. It's called Sunnyside Environmental School. And I was like, what? Okay, let's chase that. So we just spontaneously applied for this house. There were four other people in line. We wrote this beautiful letter, sight unseen. We had not, we'd seen the house from the outside. We sent off the package. We got the house. And then we're like, oh, weird. You outcompeted for the house? No. (laughs) I can't even believe it. We did. We sent our life brief. We sent our life brief, photos of our kids, a little package. And then they were like, okay, it's yours. So we flew up to Portland, Oregon, because we're like, okay, what do we just sign up for? And we realized everything was within a one block radius the school, the grocery store, the pizza parlor, the cupcake store, the coffee shop, every single thing. We didn't have to get into a car. We didn't have to do, you know, anything different. We just didn't have that hassle and hustle that was our California lifestyle. And it just became really clear in that moment that our brief maybe had shown up in Portland, Oregon. Do you think there are so many 
sort of strategies and and workbook things in here to sort of follow along. So everyone is listening that are, why is it that we don't have a sort of a mechanical inflection mechanism in our lives? Because I, I really do think that people are very intentional. They don't have, I mean, you know, Juliette and I get in the bed and dream and talk about our van build or our cabin life and one plus one equals three sometimes for sure among the noise. But why is it? Because what, what you really have put down here is sort of a some practices for busy people to really just stop and reflect daily and weekly, monthly, et cetera, about what do they want for their lives? And I don't, I don't think, I mean, this sort of, people just are muddling through a lot of times, taking what's available to them, not really intentional all of a sudden. Yeah, just like I'm stuck, 50. Yeah, or just stuck in that. I'm stuck. I'm like, I make stretching videos. I mean, literally, how do I get out of this thing? This is... <laughs> Those are awesome stretching videos, by the way. I think we're raised this way, you know? It's all out of good intention and love. Even as a parent, I can see the how easy and tempting it is to just to tell my kids what to do because I've lived it. I'm experienced. I want to protect them. I want to give them shortcuts. I want to, you know, make sure that they don't make mistakes. As a parent, it's re- we're not trained to ask, hey, what gives you juice? You know, what gets you excited? What do you want to do? What are you thinking about? What gives you that sense of aliveness? How do you feel when you engage in that? And we don't dig really deep because for one, we're busy or we're struggling to survive. And we simply just want to love our kids so hard. We want them to just make good choices. And we believe we think we know what those are. And my parents sure did. I remember they told me, Oh, you love art. That's great. But we're not going to pay for you to go to art school because <laughs> artists are poor people. You know, that was out of love, my parents. But they didn't say like, you know, hey, we see that you love art and you want to express yourself creatively. So let us help you do that. And let's see where that can go. They were like, no, artists are poor people. And then I found advertising, you know, and I did the business track. And I said, hey, mom and dad, guess who makes the big bucks in advertising? The artists, <laughs> you know? So I, I think it's it's well in, a lot of well-intentioned love. We get a lot of opinions, and I'm in advertising. We're sold a lot of things. And those are all really good things, you know? But they're not right for everyone. So I, I found that, you know, you can't be it all. You can't do it all but you can't have all that matters. The question is what matters to you? Yeah, and at different times in your life, just yeah, like, and, and do you have a structure yeah. or a default when you're feeling like you've lost the compass or there's a change? You, I don't think most of us have a plan. I don't know where to begin. So I, I, I do want to ask quite a few questions about the mechanics of the life brief, but before I do, I want to give you some props. You and I seem to know a lot of people in common that we've discovered since we recently met. But another one of those people is a dear friend of mine, Heidi Taglio. And I told her that I was interviewing you and she was excited. And she said, you know, she was the first woman that I knew that created a work from home arrangement. And I'm assuming this was around the time of you moving to Portland. And this was long before work from home was a thing and long before the pandemic. And so 
you know, I just, to the extent that that's glass ceiling breaking or, you know, trend making or whatever that is, I just, I just want to give you some, you know, props from the ether for, you know, this, like you obviously did the life brief and your move to Portland for your family, but it obviously sort of had, it made waves because of what you were able to show as a woman and a working mom, what's possible in the workplace and, and how to be able to function at a high level. And you said, no, I, I, I can still do this thing I'm doing, but I can do it from there. Could you talk a little bit about that? I call this practice creative and courageous living because when you get clear about what matters most to you, you start to see a different set of possibilities. You're no longer in this what I call binary life, right? Life tends to teach us either through experience or literally tell us that we always only have two choices, <laughs> yes or no, stay or go, this or that, right? I mean, it's usually, oh, we're all stressed because do I leave this job? Do I divorce this person? Do I, you know, give up this dog for adoption? It's always binary, but once I got really, we got really clear that we wanted this kind of life, we were now open to all kinds of ways that this life might show up. And it opened up the possibilities and allowed us to do what now I call off-road on life's path. Because it's no longer following the dictates of what success looks like or what a good life is according to somebody else. But we suddenly got clear about what a good life looks like for us and what we needed to thrive. So it didn't feel brave, but yes, it was in a way that it, that wasn't how other people were living. And when I went in to quit my job, that probably was the most courageous act. My agency said, oh, okay, why don't you just do your job from Portland, Oregon? And that was 10 years before the pandemic. Nobody was doing remote work. And they said, let's try that. And if it doesn't work, then you can quit then. And that became a six-year chapter of which we came back to California because my agency made me a partner and the head of strategy. Which is amazing, by the I way. I love also, just yeah. want to give props to the people because it sounds really brave that you went in and then they suckered you into staying in your job. I just think, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, win. <laughs> hey, Ready State listeners. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Hey guys, we just want to take a little break in this podcast episode to actually tell you about one of our own products, and that's our Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Yeah, the app literally is the first place you should go if you're trying to feel better, if you're trying to solve an old movement-related problem, if you're just trying to not be as sore from your workout. There is so much going on in this app. We have a mobility test that is comprehensive and designed by Kelly Starrett himself. It's pretty good. So you can figure out what your biggest limitations are and start to work on that. There are sports-specific mobilizations if you want to try to lift more or Fact. run faster. There is a pain area. And we even have a ton of bonus content. You can do challenges around squat and ankle and a bunch of other specific body parts so you can just generally get more Jason, supple. You're and killing awesome. it. You should talk about this app more often. <laughs> We started the original mobility project back in 2010, trying to help people solve problems for themselves. We think that every human being should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. And we want you to be able to engage in some self-care in a really re reasonable, responsible way. 
One of our favorite parts of it, daily mobility. You have a 10, 20, or 30-minute follow-along with me. If you just have a ball and a roller, think you want to feel better, move better, play along. I mean, we really feel like that's the base camp practice. Then you can add in what you need. We're really proud of this and what we've created here, and we think you should give it a try. Back. Head on over to the readystate.com slash trial and use code POD20 for 20% off your first month. And just FYI, including your two-week free trial, that's literally six weeks for $11.99. You can't beat that. There's so much amazing content to help you feel better and move better for $11.99. In the words of our uh, podcast producer, bananas. <laughs> Okay, so I would love to talk a little bit about the mechanics of a, the life brief. I know you mentioned earlier that the process of writing these things down, like actually the act of writing is really critical, but maybe you could sort of walk us through the steps at a high level, you know, because we're on this podcast, but at a high level of, okay, so we've gotten people's attention listening to this. They're curious about the life brief. Like how would someone go about actually writing this down? And then, well, yeah, we'll start there. Yeah, so the book has three parts. The practice has three parts. Get messy, get clear, get active, right? And the thing, I think I spoke to this uh, earlier, people think that they need to jump straight to action and that's where the U-turns happen. But if you get messy and the book has lots of different ways to get messy, which means allow whatever is coming up inside you to come out in writing, right? And collect those as ingredients that you can then shape and work with in part two, which is getting clear. And this doesn't have to be a lot of work. The, the beautiful thing about being an advertising strategist is that we have to unlock people in minutes, not months. This is not therapy where you're going to have to do lots of work, getting messy for months and months and study yourself. I work in advertising. We have to work at the speed of business, the speed of culture. So it's all about penetrating exercises and questions to get you to drop in and go farther faster. So that's what the book is peppered with in that first phase of the process. And you can do one exercise or skip it if it's, you don't, you're not feeling it and go to another. They, they don't have to be in order. But what they try to do is really help you reconnect to the deepest parts of yourself, your voice and separate your voice from everybody else's. And I try to make it irresistibly small, like easy, irresistible, meaning inexcusable, unignorable, right? Um, like that's how we need, we're, we're a society that suffers from cultural ADHD, you know, a little bit, or we need things fast. It's instant gratification, so it doesn't have to be long and it doesn't have to be hard, but it does require your attention and your presence. And so that's the first exercise. Can you find your quiet, meaning that spaciousness inside you where you can put down the phone, close the screen and tap in? And for me, my quiet happens really early in the morning before the kids get up. Uh, before I pick up my phone, I'm a big Andrew Huberman fan, you know, don't pick up the phone. So how can I find my quiet? Or it's in the shower, or it's on a dog walk, you know, it's when can I zone in and drop into my thoughts and listen to them. And then putting it in writing is so important because my friend Roger Housden says, writing rearranges the furniture of our mind which means when we write, something different happens cognitively, you know? And I just had a client who said, I have been 
saying for so long, I don't know what I want. I just don't know what I want. But when I looked at my writing, just a week of writing, it was so clear. I do know what I want. It's there, evidenced, written there. But somehow my story in my head is I don't know. I'm not clear. And just like I thought my husband was the problem. He was the enemy. I was carrying it in my head. But as soon as I wrote it down, I saw, oh, wait, mm -mm. no, time is the problem. And so that's the dissonance between writing and thinking. Thinking is so vacuous. It's, it, it's permissive. And we repeat thoughts over and over. But once we write, we clear space in our heads and new thoughts and new ideas can emerge. So just to deep dive a little bit more on this getting messy, and this is something you discuss in the book that I really related to, when it comes to women in particular, you talk about how we have an epidemic of perfectionism and that either that's, you know, internal or, you know, external from society expects women to, you know, be able to like, quote unquote, do it all. Because of that, it's particularly difficult, at least I understood from your book, it's particularly difficult for women to go into the get messy phase because it sort of goes against our training and tuning. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, women, especially working women, you know, I think anybody who has navigated the world from a place of scarcity, for me, climbing in my career always meant looking up and only seeing one space, maybe two. And so there's a fear that if you mess it up, if you fuck up, if you make mistakes, you're not going to get that one sl slot. You know, so I, I, I see this in anybody from a marginalized position or anyone who has had to fight for a place, uh, fight to be seen, fight to be worthy you become very protected, you know, and it's hard to be vulnerable and allow yourself to show up messy. And I've learned now as a woman leader that it's my imperative being at the top to show up messy because we know women uh, tap out of the ranks in business in the middle stages of their careers because they look up and they think it's going to, I'm not that perfect, polished person. How can I get there? It'll take too many sacrifices. And so I'm intentionally really open and transparent about my struggles because I want them to see that, no, 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 you can do this. You can be messy and you can be excellent. You have um, sort of, I'll say grand concepts, but they're that should not be undertaken necessarily need to be undertaken every day. But there's a daily practice in there, which I really, really appreciate. And I want to tell uh, just an anecdotal story real quick. I was just this weekend hanging out with one of the best athletes I've ever been around ever. Just she's just one of the most complete human athletes. And on her kitchen table is a typewriter. And this little small typewriter, and she types notes to herself all day long. Like a 19, like 70s typewriter yep. She has a little to-do notes, a little inspiration. But she, the I thought, I was like, this is so clever. And then she has a stack of these notes that she's written to herself, crossing out. And just that's, it slows her down enough to put the paper in, to have to be intentional. 
Shout out Kate Courtney. I'm, I'm going to just rat you out right now. I literally was like, I need a typewriter. Like, <laughs> I need this practice. So could you talk about, I saw this world-class woman do this, and I see it manifested in who she is and how she shows them gets worked on. Could you talk about what your daily practice is in the book? Yeah, the daily practice I talk about, and it has some parallels, I think, to the typewriter, is a daily brain dump. It's five minutes, 10 minutes of just free writing where you dump everything and anything onto the page. And I do encourage people to do it the old school way, pen and paper, because there's something that happens when we physiologically, when we press the pen in, there's something that imprints into our bloodstream, almost energetic bloodstream and imprints into our brains. And the practice really is about writing without judgment, writing without editing or withholding, that you're just allowing anything that's coming up inside you to come out onto the page. Now, later you can scrap it or you can use it, but when you use it, you get to start to separate it. You get to see the noise and the drama and the distractions and you get to see what matters because that'll come up in patterns again and again. Similar to the typewriting, it takes a pause to do this kind of exercise. So when she's writing herself the notes, there's a pause happening. There's a quiet happening where she's typing and physically, there's something so sexy about pushing the buttons, you know, and hearing the clickety-clack of a typewriter. There's some sensory thing going on, but she's thoughtfully reflecting on what does she want to tell herself? And writing is an act of commitment, right? You have to choose the words. You have to put down the sentence. You're writing and composing a note and a message. And that level of intention is enough to get really practiced with tuning into what I call your knowing. There's knowledge, which is very thinky. And there's knowing, which is very intuitive. And there's a point where the information, the facts, the data, blah, 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 it just isn't going to serve you, the thinky stuff. It's important when you're planning and, you know, planning a wedding, doing your finances, you know, balancing your checkbook. But it's not for really getting to the knowing. That is your voice, that, that connected voice that is saying to you, hey, everyone wants to go this way. But you know what? The good stuff is in the other direction. You might want to place a bet there, you know? And and we're just in a noisy world right now. Everything's shouting. We're 24-7, always on culture, right? We can be scrolling. Our thumbs can do all the work. We don't ever have to reflect. So I love that ritual of the typewriter because it's, there's no notifications coming on the typewriter. Bing! She's writing the message. Ding, here's another one. Here's the text from the hubby, you know? It's that spaciousness that it creates, the thoughtfulness and the intention. So typewriter or pen and notebook, whatever your juice or jam is. And the reason I think the typewriter spoke to me is, as Lisa can attest, I probably can't read my own handwriting. That's true. He can't, his handwriting is, it's difficult. Okay, so... This may be obvious to everyone, but obviously you wrote that first life brief and where you discovered that time was the thing that you really wanted. 
And I know since then you have written many other life briefs. And I think that speaks to what Kelly mentioned is that, you know, we all have sort of seasons and chapters of our lives and our desires and interests and needs and wants change. And so hopefully it's obvious to people listening to this that, you know, you haven't written your life brief and then you're married to it for the rest of your life. I know that you have written many life briefs, but sort of talk about the cadence and when people should think about revisiting their life brief and in what circumstances you've done that. Yeah. So I do have lots of life briefs after 14 years of doing this. It's saved my marriage, not once, but twice. You know, it centered my parenting. It's definitely propelled my career and anchored my leadership and how I want to show up as a leader. I have a wealth brief, you know, they're not one and done because they grow and evolve as you grow and evolve. They're meant to change. And it's always the driving to get to that fuck yes. And that fuck yes changes as we move through life. Hopefully. Not just cookies and sauna and deadlifts. (laughs) Actually, there are briefs that have stayed the same, right? And then there are many that I've discarded. So our wealth brief, you know, a few years ago, my husband, he's the catalyst for a lot of our briefs. He asked while we were making lunch, he said, what is enough? Do we know what enough looks like? Can we put it into dollars and cents? And That was the driving question that got us to thinking, okay, well, what is that? And we actually made it, we we got it, got clear on what enough looks like for our kids' education and all that. And suddenly all this weight came off my shoulders because I'm the sole breadwinner. And so it's a, a real big bag that I carry. And I suddenly thought, oh my God, that's completely doable. Enough is doable. And in fact, we probably have more than enough right now. And then he asked the question, if we could only be rich in one part of our lives, what would that be? And so our wealth brief became and is to be rich in relationships. Because if it ever came to a crossroads in a moment or in a decision, where do we want to spend our time? It's with each other, with our kids, with our dear friends, of which we have lots of mutual ones between us, Jenny and John being the ones that jump to the front of my mind, you know, just um, that's where we center. And that anchors me when shit hits the fan. There's too many invitations, too many opportunities. Where do I center? And it's the choices that give me all the other stuff, but most importantly, the time to invest in my most important relationships. So that one is probably a timeless one. There's others that are long gone and um, some people do it as a ritual. You know, Chip and I do it every uh, night of New Year's Day. That's a little mental gymnastics there. I always do it when I'm at a crossroads, when I'm stuck and I can't choose. And there've been in the past year, some opportunities that have come up for me that really riled my ego But at the end of the day, I knew it didn't fit my brief. So had to let them go. Made it easier to say no. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, Yeah, that's really cool. So as we've been going about the world, talking about our book, Built to Move, one of the things that we've been encouraging people to do is to think about their health almost like they would a 401k. And that 
they should look into the future, 5, 10, 25 years and say, okay, what do I want to be physically doing with my body in at that time? What do I want to be able to do? And how do I work backwards to be able to do that thing? And, you know, the first thing I thought of when I was going through the life brief is, oh, well, you know, as you said, with a wealth brief, this is the great, I mean, to me, this is the perfect structure for folks to make a health brief. Yes. What What do they want to be able to do in five years time, 10 years, 25, 50 years? What's important to them physically? Because it turns out, you know, in addition to relationships, you know, when people are interviewed, when they get older, they want to be able to like use their bodies and, you know, keep their minds active. And so it's important to think about that in advance. That's so huge. Yeah. Have you ever heard of or have you ever written a health brief or have you heard of anyone writing a health brief? Because if not, TM. Yeah. <laughs> if not, TM. Circle C. TM goes to you. And and when I heard in that, Julia, it, it was it's so juicy. Health is that place where you have to aim and you have to look forward. And we don't. We don't. So, But I heard so many of the questions that would drive that brief, right? When you look at the end of your life, how do you want to experience it? What do you want to be doing? Where, you know, um, how do you want to feel? What do you want to be capable of? And who do you want around? So there's so many juicy questions that can help direct the health brief that starts further down than the timelines we're thinking. We're always thinking in the here and now. Um, Chip and I wrote a health brief to supercharge our health because after sitting in the pandemic and writing, I was writing and on Zoom for three and a half years because writing a book, I had to squeeze that in in the slivers of time between running an agency and parenting four kids. So it was a lot of sitting on my ass. This There's a butt print in the chair that I'm sitting in right now. So supercharging our health was all about how do we look at the hacks that are available to us now, you know, with technology, with your content and do it in small, tiny, but continuously committed ways every day. Love that. I, I just, the health brief, TM. As you have taken, one of the things that resonates with me is Juliet and I have always tried to say, hey, high performance environments high level, elite sport, all of those things are where we're battle testing and pressure testing, speed testing ideas and concepts and bringing them back to the places that matter, our communities, our households, our families. And we really, there's a lot of junk that we just discard because we're like, those are things are artifacts of performance or artifacts of commercialization. They don't scale backwards. They can't, we can't see the DNA sort of history what has surprised you? Because you've done the same thing here. You're like, okay, here's this battle-tested thing where people's lives are on the line, their livelihoods are on the line. You're finding people in their, in their kind of moments of struggle and you've developed this process. What surprised you as this has become, and you've, you've battle-tested this, this is, you've been doing this with your people that you work with and friends and, and colleagues. What surprised you that's come out of this that you didn't see coming maybe? Well, it's full of surprise and serendipity with every brief. And that's what it's taught me about life. Is and it's why I say in the book, stop planning, start practicing, because I meet a lot of type A people, right, who know excellence and they know how to get excellence. 
But I found that life is full of surprise and serendipity that you can't anticipate. I didn't know my company was going to let me or invite me to work remotely from Portland, Oregon. So I had to step off a cliff and be willing to go and quit my job. I had to muster the courage to go in and put my family and my brief first. And then I got hit with the bonus reward of, oh, wait, okay, we're not going to be financially desperate in order to make this. So that was a surprise. Also at the meta level, I was surprised at how sticky this idea was. There were so many times during the life of it where I thought, okay, well, that was that was fun. You know, it was my joy work. It was a little bit of a side hustle and I thought it had its time. And then another invitation or request would come and show up. And the book actually itself came about as a moment of serendipity. I didn't go seeking it, but there was an agent who's amazing, Rachel Newman, who came to me and said, hey, let's write the book about this. So it's the life of the life brief is one big surprise. I love it. I love it. So one of the things you talk about, which I love, and is uh, our kids go to the school where this is one of their values. And so we talk about it a lot, but it's this commitment to curiosity, which seems so core to the idea of the life brief. But tell us a little bit about that. I was just having um, drinks with someone who was asking me the best questions. And I had to stop and say, you ask great questions. You know what I've noticed? I meet people and so few people today ask me questions. I feel like curiosity is so powerful, but it's also the missing piece in culture today. If I was to gift all my kids one superpower, it would be curiosity, the art of asking themselves questions asking other people questions, asking the world questions. Strategists are trained to ask questions because questions are key to unlock insights, ideas, strategies, right? We don't come up with them, but we're trained to be really good listeners. And when you stop and stay in a place of wonder, so much is gifted to you about yourself and about how you relate to the world. And that is the art of the life brief is just allowing yourself pause so that you can sit with some questions, some penetrating questions, and unlock something inside you that maybe was restlessly, you know, tapping you, but you were batting it away and allowing it to surface and looking at it and using it as clay for what might be next in your life, in a relationship, in your work. I just think that is so important. We and just heard Michael Gervais talk about yeah. sort of the highest levels of sort of his performance coaching. He's our one of our performance psychologist friends. And he's like, it's all the masters are curious. He's like, that is a the universal trait to just superior people doing badass work is that they're curious. Yeah. So critical. So sort of similar to what Kelly asked in terms of what has surprised you. Have you seen any moments in the life brief process where, you know, you've seen it difficult for people to get over certain hurdles or put their life brief into action? Do you have any sort of stories about how people have created a life brief and then struggled to sort of act on it? Or where have people struggled 
um, so that, you know, people can keep an eye on like let where me, to, let me keep going in the process. Let me start by saying it's a lot easier to just drink some bourbon and watch some TV. This right. is actually <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, is it, it could just sand be, off the edges. It could just be just starting it or actually, you know, starting taking pen it. to paper, just starting. Okay. Yeah. I think it's like exercise, right? That first day getting up at five in the morning or whenever you have to get it in and it's dark and it's cold and it's just so much more comfortable to snuggle into the duvet and the, you know, sheets and, you know, spoon the dog, whatever you do. It's hard to get started. And I find that people are afraid of the questions. They're afraid of what's on the other side. They're afraid that it might disrupt. Yes. Yeah what they know, right? And that it's going to force them into a really uncomfortable place that they might lose something they care about. At the same time, when you ask those same people if they want to stay where they are, are they satisfied? There's a different kind of fear that they're going to have to live with whatever anxiety or restless dissatisfaction that they're suffering from right now. But every time I found that people start, they are surprised at what comes out in their writing. They are surprised and delighted. But then as the work gets along, getting to that naked honesty that gets you to the fuck yes place of clarity, that becomes another moment. You know, I think people want to play it safe because fuck yes, they want that feeling. But being really nakedly honest, just with themselves, because this is a private practice. You're not you're not declaring your life brief to anybody else. But just that exercise, they're not they're not practiced in it, and it's again full of fear. I have you know Englishmen. You know, there's there's a wonderful English account director in my first workshop who said, "What if you never allowed yourself to admit what you want?" Never, ever, because that was terrifying. Somebody else told me in a workshop, my parents always told me, do not ask for what you want. That is the fastest way to disappointment. So we all have these narratives, you know, these stories. And for women, it's selfish. For Asian women, society first, family next, you last. We have all these cultural inherited rules about not putting ourselves at the center of the lives we want to create, not giving ourselves permission and agency to go after it. And what I've found, it's not a selfish act. It is self-centered. It's putting yourself at the center. And when we do that, we actually, when we get to what we really deeply want, it is connection. It is belonging. It is to be seen, understood, heard. It's not the selfish we imagine. And I think people are their own greatest enemies because we've inherited stories that hold us back. Your story about the first life brief is so telling, though, and inspiring because, you know, I think maybe one would think, oh, okay, well, if I talk about what I really want, it might separate me from a partner or a friend or something. But 
you know, in your case, and I imagine in many cases, it was a place of alignment and, you know, bringing together. And so even just, I just, what resonates with me is the change of consciousness. Just, you know, I'm always about like, I don't want to talk about my feelings all the time. I don't know all the time. (laughs) Sorry, everyone feeling. Yeah, everyone's like one feeling. He has a single feeling. What I'm into is doing a thing and having that thing be structurally sound enough that makes the change. I don't have to be think about the change or have some conversation where I hope to have the change. Like who I do this to, thing. Who needs to do their life brief? Oh, oh. I'm just saying what's amazing about the life brief life concept, it's difficult enough and self-reflective enough that doing it, you're changed. You know what I mean? Like you don't yeah, have to like, act of doing I don't it. have to believe and then, you know, dissect my feelings about the, like if I do the work, my brain has changed. And I have found that to be true. It's so that. cool. Thank you for articulating, expressing it in that way. I've never heard that expressed, but that is, I think some people only get through a few exercises and then they're like, wow, it's immediate. I'm energized in a way that I never realized before because just the act of admitting to myself what I want was so releasing, had its own release and freedom. Love it. I love that. Well, you know, I'm going to hold up the book here for those watching on oh, video. She doesn't do this um, very often. This is awesome. You guys should all pick up a copy of Life Brief. This we are dropping this episode on on January 11th, but the book is out in just a few days on January 16th. So pick up a copy and uh, start to get messy with Bonnie Wan. And I um, challenge you to do this for yourself and your family and your relationships. But then go wild and see where you can apply it, because all of a sudden you're like, ooh. This hammer hammers a lot of things. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So in addition to finding your book wherever books are sold, where can people follow you, learn more about you beyond the Bonnie Wan journey? Bonnie Wan official on Instagram and LinkedIn. Bonnie Wan, it's pretty easy. And then the lifebrief.com because uh, that's where you'll get more resources to go with the book and meet some people who are doing it together. I find people love to do it to life brief in community. It kind of has an exponential effect when you can see other people struggling with the same things. You don't even have to be working on the same brief as each other, but there's a natural inspiration that comes from hearing other people's stories. I love it. Well, congratulations again on this monumental um, and, achievement and maybe, of getting a book out into the world. Maybe in 50 years, it won't be Netflix and chill. It'll be, hey, let's life brief and chill. Life brief and chill. Life <laughs> so cool. TM, TM times two. Um, Bonnie, thank you again so much for being here. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me. That was the most fun conversation I have had in the entire year. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it!